Yo, what's good everyone? It's Anushan and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy y'all, welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Oswee, and joining me today are Eric, yes sir, and AC. What's up guys? So gentlemen, how y'all doing today? 60 degree weather, I enjoyed today quite a bit, nice sunny day, it's beautiful out. Coming off of, of victory where Tyrese Maxey beat the number one team in the East, the Heat. By himself, no Embiid, no Harden. You know, this was a hell of a Tuesday for me. Wait, can I just say real quick, forget the outcome of that game. Did anybody else think it was kind of weak that the Sixers decided to sit Harden and Embiid? Like, are they just never going to play Harden against the Miami Heat? Every time he shows up, some of Harden's resting. Are they ducking the Miami Heat? I know they ended up winning that game. But what's going on here? It's a little bit weird to me that Harden will like play against some bottom feeder, but not against the, like the top teams in the East. The sh- the streets saying you- that you hiding your man's Oswee. <laughs> the streets need to know. I mean, are we really ducking the best teams in the East when we played him and got utterly decimated by the Nets with him? I mean, they're the eighth seed, but sure. <laughs> oh, please get out of here! You guys both know. That if Kyrie Irving either does the right thing and gets vaccinated or the mandates are lifted, if Kyrie Irving's there with Kevin Durant, those guys are probably the favorites in the East. Let's be real. So that's something worth discussing a little bit, guys. It's coming to, you know, a couple weeks left in this regular season. And I don't remember another time, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, that a conference had more legitimate title contenders than this year's Eastern Conference. At least certainly not the East. There were years when the West was pretty loaded. But the East this year, I, I count personally five teams. And I'm curious if they're the same five that you guys have. So in my book, it's, it's Miami, it's Philly, it's Milwaukee, it's Boston. And even though they're an eight, as else we alluded to, I, I would still throw in Brooklyn just because of Kevin Durant mostly. Uh, am I off base, guys? Or do you guys believe that any five of those teams could win this year's East? I think all five of those teams I could like honestly see coming out of the East and winning a championship if everything plays out correctly, even though the Nets are an eighth seed. We just saw how when Kyrie's actually on the court, how he just cooked and dismantled James Harden one-on-one by himself. So if the Nets have Kyrie actually playing, shit, they're going to be tough, tough. But look out for the Celtics, man. Like, I know we named the Celtics as one of the five. They started out really slow. But since about December, they're been, they've been one of the top three teams in the league by record. And if you look at their defensive rating and offensive rating, both rankings, they're in the top 10 since about December. And now they're leading the league in defensive rating. They're going to be a tough ass out. I hear you with the talk about the Celtics. They're definitely a dangerous team. And given our less than ideal history with the Celtics in the playoffs in the Joel Embiid era, I definitely want to avoid them. They are 
one of the most complete teams in the East. I do have two big questions about them. Number one, will they have enough perimeter shooting when it counts to actually win them, not just games, but entire series? We saw that Jason Tatum is a great talent. He dropped 50 recently, but my other concern is his number two guy. Is Jalen Brown good enough to be that guy? Now, AC, if your question is who's getting out of the East, then the Celtics could potentially do it, right? If it's winning the whole thing, I don't really think the Celtics are there. I look at other teams like the the Miami Heat, another team that with the Celtics are an incredibly complete unit, but I just trust their top-level talent more than I trust a combination of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Well, that's an interesting take for a couple of reasons, and I'm going to disagree with you hard on, on, on a couple of different notes here. First of all, I think it's interesting that you frame Jimmy Butler or Kyle Lowry or whoever you want at the top of the Miami roster as, as being a notch above Jason Tatum this season. When Jason Tatum, I think, will rightfully make an all-NBA team, I don't think a single player on Miami is going to. And, and Granted, in part because they have not played all the whole season, but I also think that Jason Tatum has been dominant in a way that I, don't, I don't, haven't seen from Jimmy. The second thing is I don't understand the distinction between being able to win the East and being, being able to win the championship. Last I looked, there's only one good team in the West that I feel like is truly top to bottom good, and that's the Phoenix Suns. All the other contenders, or at least the next three or four most competitive teams, I think, are all in the East. So whatever team can get past the gauntlet of Brooklyn, Milwaukee, you know, Miami, etc., is absolutely capable of winning a championship. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. My point about top-level talent wasn't necessarily geared toward Tatum versus Jimmy Butler is a one-to-one. It's more of like, okay, you have Tatum Brown, and then who's their third guy? Smart. Whereas I have more faith in the collective of Jimmy with Bam and Kyle Lowry. Don't forget, Kyle Lowry was incredible in that finals in 2019, right? So I'm taking finals experience from these guys. I'm taking cohesiveness. And I'm also taking three guys who I believe collectively would amount to better talent than, you know, Tatum and Brown. And that's not to take anything away from Tatum or Brown. I mean, they're good players, and Tatum definitely would be the best player in the series. I just don't think he has enough around him. Now, your point about the Western Conference, let me ask you, AC, if the Celtics are facing off against the Suns, is Jason Tatum better than the combination of Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Now, I guess that's not a very fair comparison because it's one versus two. Is he the best player in that series? Is he the best player in the Nuggets series? Is he the best player in a potential Lakers series? Is he the best player in a potential Warriors series? I don't know. Well, first of all, I got some wait, breaking news wait, for you. Wait, the Lakers ain't breaking getting news. out of the West, the West <laughs> buddy? Like, <laughs> There you go. There's the breaking news. That's a straw man of straw mans. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man. This is sports. Anything can happen. It's highly unlikely I recognize it, but I'm just putting it out there, right? Is Jason Tatum better than any of these other Western Conference teams' best players? I got a better question for you, Oswee. Outside of 
Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving as perimeter players. Who has a better perimeter one-two punch out of the East than what the Celtics have in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Whew. That's a good point. I mean, you, you can't you can't even say Holiday or Middleton there because I think they're cut below. Just Jason Tatum alone puts them higher, right? I, I don't know where I'd put Brown versus Middleton. I'd probably put Middleton above Brown. I, you got to give a guy with finals experience that, you know? Fair. I, <laughs> can I, can I be a homer and say, you know, maybe Harden and Maxi have higher level upside, although it's literally on one side of the court, though Maxi did have a nice block yesterday. I mean, yeah, I hear your point. You're, you're right in that sense, but I don't know. I, I just feel like the Celtics are more than just those two guys, right? And when you think about, a team like Brooklyn, their top level talent. When you look at Philly, our big three, when it's just a, a when you're looking at talent versus talent, I I'd like to think that those guys just don't have enough. Yeah, but the, the problem with your hypothetical also is that basketball isn't played two on two. Right. And I when I consider the Celtics, I think they have a very clear way to win. First and foremost, they have an established identity. They have, without question, at, at least as of late, the best overall defense in the NBA. I know in March, the, the, randomly, the Wolves played really good defense and other teams have had stretches. But I look at them, they're so switchable. And the way they play defense th- thus is actually adaptable to the playoffs. So there are teams that can put up great defensive numbers by virtue of playing drop schemes and things like that that don't actually translate to playoff basketball. Everything that the Celtics do on the defensive end becomes more dangerous as you have to switch more. So as long as you have an elite defense and you're good enough offensively, you can win a chip. This is a proven formula. Now, can they become good enough offensively? I think that's what you're sort of questioning that a little bit. But I think a couple of things cut in their favor this time around. Jason Tatum has clearly made a leap. He has become an elite scorer. And and biggest difference is he's become a much better passer you know, we did a pod where we covered the Celtics a little bit a few weeks ago, and I mentioned this on the pod. Tatum was the guy who used to miss the pass. Now he's a guy who makes the pass early. Like he sees the play before it's happening, as it's developing. And that transition, by the way, happened within this season. It, it's actually incredible if you look month by month, the way that he passes the, the basketball. So he's adapted really well. And I also think Ime Odoka has done a fantastic job. And it, it looked early on like, he had maybe lost his locker room. He was basically scolding them on a nightly basis, but he's putting together incredible schemes. He's getting the most out of these versatile players. And frankly, this is a really tough out with actual playoff experience, I should add. Thank you for mentioning the playoff experience because when we talk about teams in the East having playoff experience, we usually talk about the Heat. We'll bring up that Harden on the Sixers with Embiid. They've had some times that they've been fairly deep into playoff series and fairly deep into playoff rounds in Harden's case. But it seems that we forgot that this very young Celtics team with a young core, with their two guys being 25 or younger, I'm talking about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, those dudes were just in an Eastern Conference championship three seasons ago. That was very recent. They have deep playoff experience, and people don't account for that. So I don't think this is going to be a team that 
I guess they get rattled when pressure comes in the postseason. I think that's definitely something that needs to be accounted in their favor. It's actually two seasons ago because, you know, everyone remembers the run when they took LeBron to Game 7 in 2018. But don't forget in the bubble, the Celtics were in the conference finals in that year too. And were frankly a couple of amazing clutch performances by the likes of Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero away from going to an NBA Finals. Don't forget that incredible block by Bam Adebayo. It was like, what, like the fingertip block? Yeah, the fingertip block, right? That maybe swung that series. Yeah. And I want to add one more thing. Asmi, you asked before about how the Celtics top players maybe compare to the top players of the West. And I think although the West has incredible top-level talent, a lot of that top-level talent, for instance, Jokic, LeBron, Luka, they're on teams that are unlikely to make deep runs in part because they are surrounded by very flawed teams. And the teams that are actually at the top, they have great players like like Donovan Mitchell or like John Morant, but those guys are kind of unproven at the highest level. Or it's a team like Phoenix, which is more about the collective than just top-level talents. If you tell me that in a playoff series, Phoenix is facing the Celtics, I personally would not be shocked to see Jason Tatum outplay Anybody on the Phoenix Suns, Now that doesn't mean that they're going to win, but he has that kind of top-level talent. And I'm not sure there's anybody out there he's going to face in the West that's going to have it. The problem will be, does he have the top-level talent to overcome someone like Giannis or someone like KD in the East? Because those guys are beasts, and they're proven too. You don't need to remind me of the Celtics, guys. There's a reason I want to avoid them. You know, you talk about all their playoff success... A lot of it comes at the expense of my team. And this is one of the things, they are the perfect example of why I'm nervous about the Sixers' chances in the East, right? Because you look at a team like the Celtics, they have all this experience and almost all of their core is still on this team. They're all still together. And you said we watched Tatum grow up before our eyes this season. Well, I had the pleasure, but also not pleasure, of watching him grow up before our eyes as he constantly would destroy us. To your point about him comparing against the Suns, one thing he has over, say, Devin Booker is, on top of his incredible offensive talent, he's also a good defender, and he has size and length that Devin Booker just doesn't have. So I hear your point there. I think in general, when it comes to teams in the East, aside from the Brooklyn Nets, it's going to be these teams like the Heat and the Celtics and the Bucks who are going to get through because they have this level of continuity. I mean, in our reaction pod to the Harden trade, I kept saying continuity, continuity, continuity. And really, the playoffs are when all of that come to a head. Do you know where you guys want the ball? Do you know your spots? When... The other team scheming against you and shit hits the fan. Is your chemistry good enough to get you through the line? And that's one thing that really worries me about the Sixers. Oh, that was a good segue, Oswee, because I was definitely about to say to you, since you're talking about continuity, you must be shaking in your pants right now. Considering, oh, yeah. Considering not only does your team not have continuity, the last yep. time we saw your boys play that elite Nets team, I mean... We saw what happened to James Harden. Playoff James Harden showed up. So, right. I mean, <laughs> that can't bode well, right? <laughs> no question, Eric. And, 
you kind of touch on one of the problems that Philly's facing. So if you actually look at the clutch stats this year, Joel Embiid has not done well in clutch situations. If you look at close games within two minutes or overtime performances, he hasn't shot the ball well. And that's in part because it's just very difficult to generate offense from the post or from the areas that he would like the ball when the game matters most. Teams will try to do various things. They'll shade him. They'll do various junk defense that make it difficult to be a dominant big man in today's league. And that's where they have acquired a guy who could potentially fill in that gap, play the Kobe role, and that's James Harden. But let's be honest here. James Harden may be this generation's... I mean, is he worse than Carl Malone in the playoffs? I think we can start to say that. He's, <laughs> he's probably... He's probably the worst performing player for his talent, for what he does in the regular season of playoffs, at least of this generation. And I have to think about whether he is maybe of all time. And that's the guy you're going to need to create you these shots, or you're going to have to hope that Embiid kind of bails you out. But I I don't think that's a winning formula for four rounds of the playoffs. You need this guy to make some plays for you. AC. Yeah. That that connection of Carl Malone. In my lifetime, Carl Malone, along with, Chris Webber, unfortunately, when I think of guys shitting the bed in yep. playoff or big game situations, I think of those two guys. I remember watching the Bulls. You know, I was a huge Jordan fan as a kid. I remember watching the Bulls. Front runner. Oh, always. I, I am a front runner to my core. That's just who I am. <laughs> Ain't no shame in my game. <laughs> but I was a huge Michael Jordan fan as a kid. And I remember seeing them face the Utah Jazz in consecutive years for his fifth and sixth championship runs. And I remember in those big games, me being so confident, if the ball goes through Carl Malone, he will fail and the Bulls will win, even if everything doesn't fall correctly for the Bulls. And honestly, I would have never thought to compare James Harden in playoff situations to Carl Malone, but... He's also becoming one of those guys that I think, all things considered, if the game is of some importance, you should bet against him and err on that instead of erring on supporting him and thinking he's actually going to take you through in the clutch. And just to add to that Carl Malone analogy, if you just looked at the record books, you know, just the other day, LeBron James passed Carl Malone, right? And if you just look at his numbers, you would think, holy shit, this was one of the five greatest players of all time. But it's so funny that everyone who ever watched Carl Malone doesn't have him ranked anywhere near the top five, right? It's one of those things you had to see it to realize, like, what happened to this guy in big games? He was just a vanishing act. And James Harden has had so many games like that. So many games that I, I made this joke the other day when we had this pod, but if you if you if you talked about like a bad two for eleven game that James Harden had in the playoffs. You'd actually have to ask which one, because he's had three of them, three classic two for 11 playoff games. That's what this guy has done in the playoffs, right? I mean, he had this one amazing playoff series against San Antonio way back in the day where he was the biggest reason that they beat him and went to the finals. And since that day onward, he has basically shit the bed in the playoffs. Let's be real. He just has. (sighs) Yeah. You know, it's not a... It's not a comforting thought, too, that we have two guys who I think in the last 50 years, nobody's drawn more 
free throws at that frequency. I think it's like 9.8 a game that these guys average. And it doesn't help that in the playoffs, getting to the line is not easy. It's a much slower game. Refs tend to swallow their whistles. And so all this nonsense that both Embiid and Harden, I've watched them for years do in the playoffs, that shit's not going to work. Like, it's ridiculous. The game against the Nets, where we got completely routed on our own freaking home floor. Joel Embiid, he ended the game with, I think, like 31 points. Did you guys see how many of those came from the line? I think it's like more than half of them. He shot 19 in the first half. Right. Now, imagine if you take that out, he basically shot the bet in that game too. It's really concerning that these guys are doing that. And when you look at even like good games that the Sixers have, and you look at the box score, it's like our starters and maybe one other guy who contributes, and that's it. We have this over-reliance of Jordan Yang. And in, in playoff games where you're taking star versus star, it's the margins that you win or lose games. And if the margin is basically just George Niang, I find that to be a little concerning. And if our stars are overly reliant on drawing fouls, despite having these godly amazing talents that just fit so perfectly together, they don't even need to do this shit. Yeah, it's concerning. So, hey, who knows? Maybe Tyrese Maxey could be our closer. I don't know. So I think Oswe just brought up an amazing point that I don't think people talk about a lot. It's one thing in the regular season where you're getting so much of your point output from getting to the line. The playoffs are different. And guys who are super, super reliant on getting to the line to like produce points, like your production is just going to go down in a postseason. It's one of the things, I don't know if you all remember in our group chat I was talking about the other day, Guys who have scored 20 or more points every year if you take out made free throws. I don't know if you all noticed, but Joel Embiid was not on the list when you take away made free throws. James Harden only made the list, I think it was twice, if you take away made free throws. A lot of their offense, way too much, I think, consists on them relying on referees. Eric. When you think about great playoff players, guys like Kawhi Leonard and Kyrie Irving come to mind in particular. But what is it that's so great about their game, especially in the playoffs? They play a pure game of basketball. They don't need to get to the line. They can just score. Kawhi can just do his beautifully balanced shot and just, you know, mid-range deadly. Kyrie Irving, he can shoot from anywhere on the floor and, you know, he'll maybe throw a little street ball in there and get to the hoop. It's ridiculous because when you look at the amount of talent, like just raw basketball talent that Joel Embiid and James Harden have, they really don't need to draw fouls. Their natural games should theoretically draw fouls for them. If you're a big man and you're just playing bully ball down low, you should theoretically draw some fouls. You don't need to just throw your hands up wildly because all you do is just turn over the damn ball. It's 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 so frustrating as a fan to watch. I want to talk about another factor that I think is going to have a much bigger role than Harden choking or not choking or them not getting to the line. Because actually, if you look at the numbers, believe it or not, Harden's free throw rate in the playoffs goes down, but not by that much. 
it's not really the main reason why they they've lose in the past. And I doubt that'll be the reason that, that'll sink them this year. I think what'll sink them is the fact that this is a team that I don't believe is going to be able to get stops when it really matters. I, I see a team that has a lot of small guards and, and just players that I don't really trust at all on the defensive end. And a lot of it, much like Utah, is covered up by having a tremendous center who can erase a lot of mistakes, but specifically do so playing certain types of schemes. So when you play against a team that they're not going to face, but say a team like the Lakers that, that lives at the rim and that drives a lot, you know, Embiid is more than enough to deal with that. But when you start playing teams with multiple guards who can pull up from three and wings who can who can punish little guys and, and punish space and drop coverage and just pull up. So basically a team like the Nets that has KD and, and Kyrie, both of them who will just pull up for three if you if you try to go under a screen or if you drop coverage with Embiid, they're going to get burned and they're going to have to switch. And the first problem is their perimeter defenders are not good enough. In my eyes, they have two good perimeter defenders. That's Matisse Thybul, who's really more of a help defender than a man-to-man defender. And that's one thing that's damn clear to me when I watch this year's Sixers team. Yep. Matisse Thybul looked like a god when he was next to Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons would take the toughest guy and Matisse Thybul would be this chaos guy, like the free safety. But he's not the shutdown corner, right? He's the free safety. So they don't have that guy. And Danny Green is the other guy, but you kind of can play only one or the other. And both of them have, you know, Danny Green is a streaky shooter. I, I think he should play more. Matisse Thybul is a guy that they, they gets a Tony Allen treatment. So he's not being guarded. Aside from that, you have guys who are too small, like a Tyrese Maxey or like Shake Milton or, you know, Cork Moss is completely out of the rotation right now. You have someone like James Harden, who, let's be honest, the only thing that he can do is switch on defense. But that's, of course, what we don't want Joel Embiid to do. We don't want Joel Embiid chasing around Kyrie on the perimeter. So I, I see a team that's going to have to win by flat-out outscoring teams. And guess what? They probably can. But can they do that four times in seven games for four rounds without being able to get critical stops? That's where I have my doubts with the Sixers. You know, usually, if you want to outscore a team, you can rely on your, your stars to do that, right? Well, history, especially with James Harden, I, I give Embiid a pass because he was injured or sick for most of his past playoffs. James Harden, is he a reliable playoff player? Probably not. Okay, so where else can you get points? From your bench. Well, let's see here. Matisse Thibel, not a shooter. Danny Green, streaky shooter. Georges Niang, he's a good shooter for us, but his record with the Jazz leaves something to be desired. Furkan Korkmaz, he can shoot, he's a terrible defender, and he's been in a bit of a slump. Same with Shake Milton, another guy who's in a bit of a slump. Who are we getting shooting from on this bench? We barely have anybody to space the floor like that. So if our goal is to outscore people, something's got to give. Either Harden and Embiid and Maxi, really Tobias Harris, because we, we keep forgetting to talk about that. That's how irrelevant he's become. Also, we, we forget to talk about it because he's become forgettable. Exactly. I mean, He's a, a, a guy who needs the ball in his hand that is, is turned into a catch-and-shoot player. And he and that's can't the worst that. part of his game. Yep. And we've known this for years, and that's what he is now as the fourth option on the Sixers team. Right. So either our starting lineup needs to completely ball out, and we need to hope we stay afloat when the others come on, or we just got to say, Daryl Morey, this offseason, you better get us some good shooters because... I'm excited about this. Don't get me wrong, guys. I'm really excited about my team. 
I just need to hope that the basketball gods line things up nicely for us because, good lord, man, I look at some of these teams and I'm getting a little nervous as we get closer to the playoffs. I actually think that the Sixers have no intention of staying in the two seed. I think they were scared by Brooklyn, and I could see them sort of pseudo tanking their way out of that seed and and, and trying to get to three at least, which yeah. means I think they could even fall as low as four potentially and get to that four or five matchup. So they're talked about as one of the favorites, but I actually think they're kind of within the five teams we talked about. I actually look at them sort of lower on that on that ranking. Agreed. So I want to cover some of the teams that maybe have a little bit better of a chance of winning, or at least should be favored a little bit more. So Miami Heat this whole season have pretty much been on the top of the East. And to me, it's kind of remarkable that they're able to do this with so many injuries to critical guys. They're starting five with their best players has barely played together this season. And it's just one guy out after another, but they just keep chugging along. Like they didn't have Bam out of bio for some time. They didn't have Butler for some time. They missed Lowry for some time. And it's just a testament to incredible coaching. And the fact of the matter is when you play the Miami heat, I feel bad for you. If you're trying to run offense, these guys can put lineups out there with Jimmy Bam, Lowry, PJ Tucker out there. Like we talk about switchability. I mean, that's insane switchability, versatility, guys who just are there to make every dribble a nightmare. And I, I just think, much like we said with Boston, they can just ride their defense and get enough offense to beat just about any team in a series. What do you guys think? By the way, shout out to Spo, who does an incredible job every year. Like every season, Miami has a great defense and puts a product on the floor where they're always competitive. That's every season. Even when they're bad, they're still oddly competitive. So, like, he's he's one of the best coaches in the league, and I don't think it's said enough, but he legitimately is. So, this is what I think about the Heat. We spoke about them briefly about a month and a half ago. I think I I haven't really wavered that much from what I thought then. I think this team will probably be the number one seed in the East. But when it comes down to it, when we get into the playoffs, I think considering, A, like you said, AC, the starting lineup of the Heat hasn't been together to even play much. So as far as continuity, just being together, building some type of rapport where they're just firing on all cylinders in the playoffs, I'm not so sure. I also don't think... Their top-end talent is quite what the top-end talent of some of the teams that have like Giannis or KD or even a a team with Embiid, what they have is top-end talent. So I tend to believe in the playoffs, usually the teams who actually win out are the teams who have a superstar guy that in late close games can take over and pull you, drag you over the finish line. I don't really think that he has that. And the one thing I don't think people have noticed, people have brought up Jimmy Butler. Oh, he had this great run two years ago in the bubble. So he's one of those guys too. I've been looking at the Heat for like 20 games now. It's almost as if my man has forgot how to shoot. His jump shot has like fallen off a cliff. So if if that is somehow some type of theme that is developing with Jimmy, the Heat are going to have a problem when they actually get far in the playoffs and are against those teams aforementioned that have championship superstar caliber guys. 
that will put up a bunch of points in late game situations. See, for me, not only are they, I guess, my dark horse candidate to go all the way, but they're my team that if the Sixers fail, I'm all in on the heat because one, I love the organization. Two, I love Spolstra. When he got announced as one of the 15 greatest coaches of all time, I was like, all right, this list is legit. Like, that's a fucking, like, bullseye perfect selection there. The Heat have a defensive rating of 108.3. That's fourth in the league. But kind of like you alluded to, Eric, their offense is not guns blazing type of offense. They are have an offensive rating of just 113.1. That's 11th in the league. Now, your point about Jimmy Butler, I hear you, but it's not like Jimmy Butler has ever been a great shooter. That's why there is a criticism of pairing him with Joel Embiid, right? Jimmy Butler is not some type of floor spacer, but you know what he is? He's Jimmy Buckets. When the going gets tough, we talk about Harden, we talk about Malone, we talk about these guys who... In clutch situations, they tend to kind of shy away from the moment. That's not Jimmy Butler. I saw what Jimmy Butler did. We would talk about his finals run in 2020. What about in 2019 when he's with the Sixers? He was the guy when Embiid was injured in that series. He was the guy keeping us in that series. He's the reason we got to seven. Let's not forget, he also dropped 40 in a finals game. So this is not just any guy. This is Jimmy fucking Butler. I just want to add, guys. Again, I, I understand he has a history, but for the month of March, he's putting up a very West Brickian 36% from the floor and 23% from three-point range. I'm just saying. A slump. Like, it's quite the slump. And and honestly, for a while, he just hasn't been shooting that well. Now, this each month, it seems like it's precipitously declining, but... Right now, and I don't trust if he even has a shot where in late game situations, you need someone to like actually like create offense. I don't know if that's Jimmy right now. And I guess you'll be like relying on Tyler Hero, who's having a very excellent season in his own right as like some type of most improved player type caliber guy. So they have guys. I, I just don't know how they match up with some of those, like, heavy hitters in the East. He's not alone, though. He does also have Kyle Lowry, who made a lot of big shots in his finals run. So it's not just Jimmy Butler on an island, too. I, I mean, I remember a time when Kyle Lowry also was shitting his bed before. Uh, they, of course. <laughs> before they had that finals run. So there's that, too. So which Kyle yeah, are you getting? I, no, no, I, I used to call him a Costco superstar, right? You know, because of his suboptimal playoff performances. Yeah. Here's the way I would look at this, right? I think you have to compare this Heat's team to the team that made a finals run. When you do that exercise, it's hard not to see that this Miami team actually has a lot more offensive firepower because that team had Drogic, who was kind of banged up at points in that finals run, certainly in the NBA finals itself. They did not have anyone of, of the caliber of what Tyler Hero is doing this year. And I think Tyler Hero's growth in some ways unlocks what this team can do in late games that they never really had before because he can pretty much, you can give him the ball and he can actually put the ball on the floor and create. And he's shooting 39% from three this year, which is well up from last year. And as a result, he could potentially be 
a creator of sorts down the stretch. As for Jimmy, I always look at Jimmy as a guy who's a slasher first and anything else he gives you is just a bonus. Kind of like I look at Dwayne Wade, you know, back in the day. And I think he can still do that, right? I get it. His numbers aren't the greatest. He's still playing elite defense. I think there are lineups they can put out there with a little bit more spacing around him that can open up those angles a bit more. And listen, right now they're playing some of these guys out there who I don't even know if you're not a hardcore NBA fan, you may not even recognize some of the dudes that have been running out here this regular season. They've been that devastated by injury, by COVID, by everything. So all of their numbers could be better than what they are. The one number that I keep hanging on to, though, is when they're starting five players together, specifically when Butler, Adebayo, and Lowry play together, this team is devastatingly good on both ends of the court. Their net rating is in the double digits, you know, as an average. They're demolishing teams when the three of them are playing together. So I think that at least shows that they do have some potential. AC, you forgot one other addition that's so crucial to their team. They added P.J. Tucker in the offseason. Like, P.J. Tucker is the, exactly the type of guy that you want in some of these small ball lineups that they could potentially run. Yeah, and he was kind of looked at as a, a bit of a disappointment last year in Milwaukee, but I actually think that he played a very critical role, even though Durant obliterated him in that series. He still wore him down, right? Like, he still took that assignment series after series. And this year, he's actually played a lot better for Miami than he did last year in Milwaukee. And I agree. I mean, adding him took a critical piece away from a rival, and it gives them an ultra-switchable lineup that is frankly impossible to score upon because depending on who that fifth guy is, they potentially could have no weak spot to attack. So... I agree. I, I think PJ Tucker could play a big role if they if they run into one of these guys like a Giannis, like a KD. Can he stop them? Absolutely not. But he's a body you can put on them to give you know some some reprieve from the Bams and the the Jimmys. Not that I think he's going to get any like considerable minutes, but if you inject Oladipo in for like 10, 12 minutes, and he is any semblance of the All Star player that he once was, I mean that's only a plus for that team. Yeah, the problem to me with Oladipo is even if he's healthy, he had that one season where he shot really well. But I, I look at him like another guy who's anything you're getting from his jump shot is a bit of a bonus. And I think Eric already alluded to the problems of having one guy in Jimmy Butler who's really a slash first player or West Brickian player as as he <laughs> as he as he labeled it. Although don't tell him that it's apparently insulting his family name, so you <laughs> can't do that. But uh, I. I just feel like there's only so many of those players you can have. So the value of another non-shooter, when we know Jimmy Butler's going to be playing 40-plus minutes, diminishes greatly. Victor is cooked, though. Like, straight up. He cooked. He he ain't going to be giving you anything for real. I'm just trying to be optimistic here, right? He's a good, good chap, you know? Finally healthy. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. So we talked a bit about Kevin Durant. In passing, and basically every single conversation we had, we mentioned the threat of KD, right? Who I think still looms over this conference as the best player. I know the numbers would say the best player this season has been either Embiid or Jokic or Giannis. But when I actually watch the games, I every time I watch KD play, I'm like, how is this guy not the best player right now? Because he just has he's unstoppable. And I think in some ways, what he can do on defense is actually more useful than even what someone like Embiid can do on defense because he's so switchable. So 
I, I look at him as a complete package. And as long as you have him on your team, you have a shot. And you have Kyrie Irving, which I, I believe by the way things are trending, it looks like he will be able to play in home games by the time of the playoffs. Let's assume you have him on your team. Is that combo enough, guys, to get it done? Given the fact that the rest of that team is small, everything we talked about with respect to the Sixers applies to a team that might have a backcourt of Seth Curry and Kyrie Irving or Patty Mills, Seth Curry, and Kyrie Irving playing together. They have a lot of weak spots you can attack on defense. And I'm not sure they have quite the level of knockdown shooting outside of playing those very little guards because they lost Joe Harris for the season. They basically got nothing this year out of Blake Griffin. They've gotten nothing this year out of really any of their centers. I mean, Nick Claxton, I guess, but he hasn't even been that impressive. Even Bruce Brown, after having a fantastic season last year, has been disappointing this year. Do they have enough to win four playoff rounds after coming out of two play-in games, potentially, with just this top two of of KD and and Kyrie and just basically spare parts, in my opinion? Well, to address the comment you made about their bigs, Let's not forget Eric's boy, Andre Drummond, is on that team, and he's having a very good season. So And actually helped him out a lot, by a the lot. way. A lot, right, right. The Sixers miss him. <laughs> yes, we do. We have DeAndre Jordan instead. Am I ever going to be able to live the, down the connection between me and Andre Drummond? Is, is this even fair <laughs> at this point? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not like he's a like that much of a meme anymore. He's actually playing well now, so you should be happy about it. That being said, I think this is where the Ben Simmons herniated disc thing really hurts the Nets. Because if you have Ben Simmons guarding the opponent's best player, I don't care what anybody says. He's hands down the best perimeter defender in the league, bar none. And if the guy backing him up is Kevin Durant, you're okay. There's not a defensive scheme you can't run with those two guys there. However, tell me a duo in the league who can get a 50-piece each on any given night as easily as these two can. I don't think there's anybody in the league right now who can drop 50 as easily as either of those guys. And there's two of them. Kyrie did, what, he had 60 in three quarters? Mind you, against the Magic, but still. so. I look at all their flaws and I just think it doesn't really matter because without any of this, they lost by Kevin Durant having a freakishly long foot last year. So if Kyrie isn't nerfed by his stupid vaccine standpoint and he's actually able to play in series, I find it hard to see them losing to just about anyone just because of how absurdly talented those top two guys are on their own. You know, you say that we, the Sixers, have to outscore our opponents. Well, they have to do it, but they can easily do it. Whereas we have to pray to the basketball gods that that can actually happen. I have a hot take in response to that, Oswee. Can I get that alert, please? Hot take alert. So, Kyrie Irving, one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA. I absolutely love his game. I mean, I think he's the best ball handler the NBA has ever seen. He's one of the greatest layup makers the NBA has ever seen. And he's an incredibly clutch player. And statistically, it's it's been backed up as well because he can get any shot he wants off. But when are we going to stop acting? And I, I don't even say we, I mean collectively like the media. As if 
Kyrie Irving is some like Scottie Pippen type of player here, right? This is a guy who is an elite scorer. I'll give you that, right? And yes, what he really wants to, you know, the 1% of the time he cares, he can compete on defense and provide something on that end as well. Most of the time he sucks and dies on every screen on defense. And yes, he had a fantastic finals in 2016. One of the most legendary finals. Look at his playoff record outside of that year, and it's not so impressive. And certainly if you look outside of the two years he made full finals runs with LeBron, it's even less impressive. This is a guy we're not sure who can stay healthy for four straight rounds of of tough physical basketball. This is a guy who doesn't provide anything else except for scoring on on the court. Now, he's a switch killer, and that makes him deadly in the playoffs. I think he's a deadly weapon, but I'm not sure he's so good that even if we say Kevin Durant's the best player in the world, that just because you have Kyrie as your number two, that you could overcome having a very flawed team and coming from an eight seed and winning four rounds. That's all I got to say about that. I, I just feel like we, people talk about him like he should have been on that top 75 list. Whereas in my opinion, he didn't even belong anywhere near that list based on his actual career accomplishments. Okay, so I think we all know, I've said a bunch of times that LeBron James's greatest accomplishment when all is said and done is that he won a championship <laughs> with Kyrie Irving as his consigliere, right? I, I completely agree. So I say that to say... Oh, I don't actually think the Nets are going to win this year. Could the Nets win with Kevin Durant? Yes, they could win a lot. And I say a lot has to go correct for the Nets to get out of the East and win a championship. And honestly, I just don't see it. I probably didn't see it when they still had Harden and he kind of was like half-assing it at times. And now that Joe Harris isn't going to be there, I really don't see it. Now that you you take into account, as AC said, a bunch of their guys have just underperformed this year. I think it would take a playoffs of Herculean proportion from not just KD, from also Kyrie. And Kyrie, to me, doesn't have that type of track record. In fact, even if he's allowed to play home games, if I were a betting man, I would bet he'll miss some games in the playoffs because of injury. So I just don't see this team as constructed, and they would have really been able to use Ben Simmons. It's unfortunate it's looking like he's not going to be on the floor. I feel like he would have been able to mask a lot of their inadequacies at the very least on defense and, and also as a facilitator. He would have helped like just making the game a lot easier for two guys who already make the game easier for themselves. But I just, I don't see it happening. I I think we can't depend on KD to play elite defense while scoring 40 to 50 every night. That's just unreasonable in a playoff situation. And I honestly think that's what's going to have to happen if they're actually going to win a championship. I mean, Eric, I think you can expect that from KD for a game, maybe two games. But you can't expect him to do that for 16 wins. And that's where I, I, I just I just don't see it either. Yeah, you and I are in full agreement. I actually think I could see a situation where KD might, for a playoffs, average near 40 points. I think he's that fucking good. Like, this has nothing to do with KD. I just think now his responsibilities, not only being a scorer, he acts as an offensive hub and... He's the only guy that actually is a very good defender, a plus defender. So, like, Bro, he's their best rim protector. It's actually insane. So, he's their best perimeter defender and rim protector. 
Like, yep. how much can this man actually be expected to accomplish during a playoff run to the finals? Like, I, I just think this this expectation that I've heard some people have that they're going to get out of the, the East is becoming almost a LeBronian expectation that LeBron used to have on those, like, Cavs teams. And I'm like, dog, right. he's, he's not going to be able to do this. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, it's not like Kevin Durant is LeBron James, right? Like LeBron James could be the best defender and he could be their leading scorer Kevin, on Kevin's his close though. Like let's not He's get close. it twisted. He's close. He's yeah, close. Yeah. yeah. I would say also that I don't think LeBron had to go through this kind of a gauntlet to get to a finals mm-hmm. on some of right. those, the years where he really had shitty teams and he dragged them to finals. He was facing teams where maybe there was one competitive team in the East. Often there was none where like the best team was a flawed Raptors team. You know, like a DeRozan, Lowry, before they kind of emerged what they are now, Raptors team, or like a flawed Hawks team, right. or a flawed Pacers team with one player in Paul George and, you know, Roy Hibbert out there. Like, you know, it's always like that kind of thing. So I don't think he's had to go through any one of the caliber that, that of a Giannis or an Embiid with this, with Harden with him or Miami or anything like that. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Roy Hibbert, uh, or, or should I say Sixers assistant coach, Roy Hibbert. Parks and Rec star Roy Hibbert. <laughs> <Yeah>. Honestly, that's <laughs> at this point what I know him for the best. That Parks and Rec episode. That's a damn shame. Verticality, verticality. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. I think of the top five teams, the matchup that the Nets probably want is the Sixers because unlike the Heat, unlike the Celtics, unlike the Bucks, we are not that great on defense we have glaring defensive flaws and we have no one who can really guard their big two you look at the heat and celtics as we spoke before they have a number of guys who could throw at those guys and then you look at the bucks a bucks team who has drew holiday and Giannis antetokounmpo who very much can maybe not stop them but slow them down in a way that just about any other team can't because these guys are probably the best one-two punch defenders of the five teams. You know, honestly, when you frame it like that, it makes you realize how many teams they have to face that actually have very good defenders to throw at them. It's not just that they have to overcome, you know, superstars on the other side. They have to overcome teams with guys perfectly built to guard Kyrie and KD. And there's like three other teams like that in the East that we, we can say. And, I, and by the way, those middling teams are not going to be easy outs either for anybody. Those Chicago's, Cleveland's, those will be a tough series. I don't think anyone is looking forward to facing really anyone in these. There's no easy pushover team. Like even if you face Atlanta in a play-in game, I mean, Ice Trade can get red hot and can knock you out. That's it. And we That's the end of the Nets. So it's a really tough road for them. Well, let's not forget that if the season ended today, if I'm not mistaken... The Raptors have the seven and the Nets are the eight, which means Kyrie's nerfed because he can't travel to Canada because his ass is not vaccinated. And that's not going to change regardless. And- that's the worst team for the Nets that they could face because they, they, they're actually no way in which Kyrie could play in Canada. A weird thing has happened that I always kind of root against KD for whatever reason, ever since he went to the Warriors. I found myself having a bit of a soft spot for, for this Nets team just because I feel bad for KD because, you know, like Harden decided to leave randomly. Kyrie has just been complete prima donna the whole season. 
And I just watched this man, like, as Eric alluded to, he's literally asked to do every single thing on the court, and it's an unfair burden. So I find myself hoping, at least for his sake, that he at least has the best chance and the best, most healthy available team for him to make a run with. Well, now he knows how LeBron's felt. So good for him after being spoiled for so long. I do want to now move on to the last team. And I believe personally still the team to beat in the East. I'm curious if you guys agree. And that's the Milwaukee Bucks. Yep. To me, they're, they've not been as impressive as probably we expected them to be. They've not been the dominant team that they were probably projected to be. But they've been hanging around, you know, and they've overcome some injuries. They've got Brook Lopez back now. What do you guys think of the Milwaukee Bucks? I mean, any notion that the Bucks are lesser than what their title shows is is really stupid. Think about it like this. People are saying, oh, the Bucks, they aren't looking too hot right now. Really? They're third in the East. They're like within a game of everyone else. So it's not like they've slid to like seven or something like that. They've had pretty bad injuries, but now Brooke Lopez is back. And things will change. And let's be honest, guys. In the playoffs, not only do they have continuity, not only do they have playoff experience, not only do they have great number two and three guys in Middleton and Holiday, they also have a guy in Giannis Antetokounmpo who dropped a 50-piece in a closeout game. A guy who is so dominant on both sides of the court. He is otherworldly on defense he is an incredible offensive player like if he's driving to the hoop there's not a single human being who could stop this man so i i agree that if people are trying to discount their title that's foolish i mean they, they won it fair and square i don't think that this team is as good as last year's team in the sense that they've lost some critical depth so pat Connaughton played an absolutely huge role in their run last year and was having a good season he is out for the season. And unfortunately for them, right before he went down, they traded Dante DiVincenzo away, who did not play last year, but could have been a really useful piece this year. And, and they kind of replaced him with, in my opinion, nothing particularly special. And they lost P.J. Tucker to the Miami Heat, as we alluded to earlier. I would also say that Chris Middleton has not had as good of a season as last year. In fact, it was debatable that he even deserved an all-star slot, even though he got one. Holiday is a bit of a banged up, so I'll give a, a pass. I, I do agree with you, though, also, it all comes down to Giannis. Like, the ceiling that he can get to is probably the only guy on, on Durant's level, or maybe even beyond, because of what he can do physically from just imposing his will on a game. So, as long as they have him, they have a shot. But I, I just don't believe they're as good as they were last year, at least coming into the playoffs. No, I, I hear you on that point. I think you're 100% right because of the depth that they lost. I just feel like from continuity, but more importantly, matchup-wise, they just match up well against all of these other contenders. So that's why I, I look at them and I think that they should be the clear favorites because they are defending champions for a reason, you know? They still have yeah, their core. no doubt. They have their core, and when you say that they match up well with everyone, what you're really saying is two things. They have... A guard in, in Drew Holiday that can basically cover any perimeter player in the NBA that's like under 6'6", right? And then the other thing they have is a, a man in Giannis Antetokounmpo who nobody can match up against. So as a result, they're a bad matchup for everybody. But there, you know, there are still some underlying concerns. Like, for instance, this Milwaukee team, which was always a top five 
defense, as long as Giannis has been there, is 15th this year in defensive rating. Now, a lot of that is due to not having Brooke Lopez and playing a lot more minutes with Giannis at the five. A lot more minutes for Bobby Portis, who is playing well from a shooting perspective, but it has kind of sunk their defense a bit. So they have had a decline on that end. Yet, they've still maintained you know, a, a decent enough offense, currently fourth in the NBA in offensive rating. So they've been able to make up for it. And I'll say one thing. Last year, we were very critical of Coach Bud coming into the playoffs, really all, the last couple of years, right? For every all the mistakes he made in playoffs and in the regular season. And, and last year, we gave him credit when he adapted. He has continued that adaptation this season. He's been very flexible with his lineups. He's running all kinds of schemes. He's not just running drop coverages. Tons of switching. He's using Giannis at the five. He's being creative. They're running cool sets out there. It seems like a coach who's coming into his own and who is now coaching in a way that's going to translate well to playoff basketball. I mean, succinctly, guys, I think you all cover most of it. But look, for my estimation, the Bucks have Giannis, who's the most destructive pound-for-pound player on both ends of the floor in the league. They have a coach who got over his like inadequacies in past seasons in, in the postseason. Of course, Giannis also got over some of his postseason woes. They have a guy, Chris Middleton, when healthy. It seems to me he has a history of overperforming in the playoffs. They have a very versatile defender in Drew Holiday, and they have Brooke Lopez coming back. I think this team is pretty well set up to do well in the East, and that mostly is because I just think Giannis, while playing an increased minutes load in the playoffs, is going to be so dominant and unstoppable that his imprint from a game-to-game basis is going to be a lot of times just insurmountable. Yeah, I, I think that's the way I look at this team. It's a team that, just by virtue of having Giannis, has a very high floor. Where their ceiling is ultimately this season will depend on how much they can get out of their role players. Can Middleton play like the Middleton we saw last year? Can Holiday play at his best? He hasn't done that this year. There's a world in which they can absolutely get to that ceiling. And their their ceiling is as high as anyone's in the NBA. Which then brings me to my last question for you guys. Gun to your heads. Who is winning the East? Not who do you want to win the East? We know else is going to say the Sixers. I'm saying your life's a lie. And someone says, this bet has to get right. Or I will kill you. (laughs) That's the stakes here. Who is winning the East? The Bucks. You know, I'm I'm bouncing between the Bucks and the Heat. I I can't pick one or the other. Maybe I'll say the Bucks just out of respect for their the fact that they're defending their title. But I, I would say one A Bucks, one B Heat. I'm cheating here. There you go. What about you, AC? What do you think? So it's interesting you're picking the Heat because just last year the Bucks demolished the Heat in the playoffs. Although of course the year before I, that it was reversed. So yeah. I guess it depends which year you're looking at. I, I think given that, as Eric said, they've, they've overcome their playoff woes, I think you just got to give it to the reigning champs. And they're just a team that, as also we said, they just match up with literally everyone well. And I, and I don't know who matches up with them well. Who's like, wow, we have like the team that's built to stop Giannis. Because if you have sort of a big man, a plotting big man who can do that, then you're going to be deficient other ways against them. So he's just that dominant, just that good. And I think if you win the title again this year, guys, I think, I mean, some people already say he's the best player right now. I think then the, the title is his, like, unquestionably, right? I mean, oh, I, I know no, we have to talk oh, about no, Oh, no doubt. And and right now, you know, I have him in, in that Steph Curry, KD, Giannis, like, little group. 
I think if he wins all time, you're talking all time, all time. If he wins another one, I think he leaps frog those guys personally. Yeah, Mm. I agree. If he wins another one, now he's you got to look at him as like a top 10 player potentially, which is absolutely crazy, crazy to think from a guy who I don't think anyone saw this from. Uh, Certainly 15, 14 other NBA teams that didn't see it either, right? So, yeah, I mean, that would be an awesome story to see. I mean, I'm, I'm all here for it. We'll see what happens, guys. Oh, yeah, I'm rooting for him as well. I would love that story. I, I think out of guys that I think deserve adulation because of what they've built themselves into, Giannis is, like, at the top of that list of, like, his story is amazing. Like, yeah. Amazing. And he's brick by brick actually built himself. Incredible. Well, guys, I think that's a perfect place to stop for today. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to like, rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to hit us up by emailing us at brownmanwontjump at gmail.com or on Instagram at brownmanwontjump. We'll catch you in the next one. Stay safe, guys. Deuces. Joel Embiid MVP.